Welcome to the next episode of Get Schooled by Reeves and Ford, where we discuss all things college admissions. Joel and I have been having conversations about college admissions for years, and now we bring those to you. Our goal is to provide information to you, the listener, about the world of college admissions, the processes involved, and the current issues that are a part of the journey to post-secondary education. I'm Chris Reeves, counselor at Beechwood High School, and I'm here with Joel Ford, counselor at Connor High School. Our producer, Mike Kurgowski, has had extensive training in Japan and is today's Gyoji. Domo arigato, Mr. Roboto. Today will be epic, and we hope to remain friends after this episode, after we discuss the pros and cons of a liberal arts education. As a huge Hamilton fan, I personally wanted to call this episode Cabinet Battle Number One and Cabinet Battle Number Two. Welcome to the real world, Mr. Ford. I haven't seen Hamilton. I'm the only person in America who hasn't seen Hamilton, so I have no clue what you're talking about. You will. Okay. All right, all right, let's, we'll get to it. But later in the episode, we bring on a very special guest, Johnny Johnson, Director of Admissions from Transylvania University and current Kentucky ACAC president. What a stud. That'll be a good one. He'll be here to talk about his perspectives in both attending a liberal arts college and now working at a liberal arts college. We are calling this episode... The Great Liberal Arts Debate. Dun, dun, dun. Let's get ready to rumble. We are excited to get to it, but first the news. Joel, you know I don't read the news or watch it. So what's going on in college admissions lately? All right, so let's start off by playing a little canoe or go. I'll read a headline. You tell me whether you want to know or canoe more about it. Or go on, because there's nothing new to discuss. Are you ready? I'm ready. Headline number one, useful or foolhardy, new adversity rating for SAT drives rousing debate. I'm only going to say Cano because I think our listeners want to hear more about this. Okay, so the idea is that the college board, the people that own the SAT, um, acknowledge that testing alone is no equalizer in a society with profound inequities of opportunity, but the testing organization's latest response to that dilemma, the creation of a numerical rating of adversity for each student's high school and neighborhood, has generated a fierce debate. The rating seen by colleges but not students is meant to give admissions officers a quick read on the social and economic landscape behind every application. Supporters say it delivers useful context for test scores, showing hurdles students might have faced in places unfamiliar to recruiters. In the past year, 50 colleges and universities used it. The rating is about to expand to 150 schools and then become broadly available next year. Um, Are you skeptical? Well, I want to know who came up with the number, what the number measures. It sounds like they're trying to do a good thing, but I've got a lot of questions. Well, (laughs) one, it's College Board. Mm -hmm. Two, don't colleges do this? When uh, an admission counselor knows their school, taking into account a student story, a school story, a community, mm-hmm. I think I think a good college admissions office already does this. Um, I don't I don't know how it's it's going to help. Maybe. Well, and my understanding is they're they're doing it by zip code, so. Oh yeah. Okay. So they're they're generalizing. Yeah, that doesn't make a lot of sense. You know. My zip code has multi-million dollar homes and a couple mobile home parks right like three mobile home parks Mm -hmm. and triple crown which is like a high-end subdivision right so 41091 baby there you go 
So yeah, yeah. A lot, a lot more questions than than answers on that one for me. Right. All right. Headline number two: Lawmaker introduces bill requiring Ohio schools to name a valedictorian. Go on. Okay. Number three. All right. Survey. Only 38% of Americans believe the college admission process is fair. Cano. So overall, uh, the research was done by the National Opinion Research Center. Um, overall, they say 38% consider it to be fair, uh, 36% say it's unfair, and 25% say it's neither fair nor unfair. Um, Would that just be fair? If it's like neither fair nor unfair, wouldn't that just be fair? Or they just have no clue. Right. You know, I, I, yeah, I don't know. Because I, I, I would just go ahead and I didn't do the data, but I would just go ahead and throw the 62% of people who feel like college admissions is not fair. Right. Um, many people say a fi- family's finances should be less of a factor when evaluating college applications, while 44% think donations made to the school are considered by colleges when determining a student's admission. Only 13% say it should have any significant bearing on admissions. And 46% think colleges give weight to the family's ability to pay full tuition, while only 23% uh, think that should be a consideration. I think those numbers are really interesting into the percent of schools who have need-blind admissions or say they have need-blind versus the public perspective, right? which obviously has changed since Varsity Blues, uh, or maybe not, but I, but I feel like Varsity Blues has changed public perspective on, or at least shed light on, on all of this. Right. Headline number four. Uh, homeless in college, students sleep in cars, on couches, when they have nowhere else to go. I do want to know more about this. I, I, I lied. I do watch the news a little bit because I saw a segment on 60 Minutes about this. Really? So I want to, I'd, li- I'd be interested to hear what this article said. So a survey of nearly 86,000 students um, that was taken last fall by the Hope Center for College Community and Justice found that homelessness affected 18% of respondents attending two-year colleges, 14% of those attending four-year institutions. The number who said they had experienced housing insecurity, such as difficulty paying rent, was much higher at 60% among those attending two-year schools and 48% for those enrolled in four-year institutions. Man, I, that's, you, you don't want to believe that's, that's a factor. It, it, it adds a whole new meaning to the term poor college student. That puts it in a very real sense of, of life. And, and, and it also shows, I mean, they're in school. Mm-hmm. Talk about dedication. So what do colleges do? How do they find out? How does an individual college find out that who's, who's homeless, who's not? Well, and I, it really kind of struck me because I was, I was thinking about it. You know, our local community college um, near where we both live has no student housing at all. Correct. So I guess you, you, the, the assumption, which is incorrect, is, oh, well, they go to school and then they go home. You don't think about the fact that because they're paying for school, maybe they don't have a home or, or right. the, you know. And if they're, they don't have support at home from, from parents because a lot of students going to that school probably live with their parents still. Uh, it's a two-year college, 19, 20, 21 years old, 22 maybe. But I'd almost like to reach out to them yeah. to see if they've investigated, if they know of anything. Um, well, and I know the seems to be a growing trend that um, more colleges are setting up like food pantries and things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know. um, so, yeah. Next headline. Students who attend HBCUs, and that 
for those who don't know the term, uh, stands for Historically Black College and Universities. Uh, so students who attend HBCUs have more student loan debt than other students. I'd like to know more about this. Okay. Um, so the, the article talked about um, last month when billionaire philanthropist Robert Smith um, thrust HBCUs into the spotlight by pledging to eliminate up to $40 million in student loans for Morehouse College's 400 graduates. Um, and it talks about the fact that student loan debt's merely a symptom of a systemic problem that dates back to the school's beginnings. Um, when these institutions were created, they weren't created on equal footing with historically white institutions. So what happens is you basically end up with a situation uh, where the majority white institutions continue to get wealthier because wealth begets wealth and the HBCUs are behind. That's according to Mary Beth Gassman, a professor at the University of Pennsylvania and an expert on HBCUs. So endowments aren't as high. Right. And those schools can't do as much for their students as far as financial aid, which means the students and families essentially have to borrow more money. Right. I mean, it, it, it makes sense as far as the, the data and statistics. I don't know the solution. Right. But, but, but I mean, it's, it's... But that's a topic, HBCUs in general, that's a topic that I would like for us to explore in a future podcast um, just to, to become more knowledgeable. Let's set it up. Let's set it up. All right. And with that... That's this episode's Cano or Go. Uh, let's take a quick break, and we're going to come on back, and the fight is on. Welcome back to Get Schooled by Reeves and Ford. It's time for the epic, great liberal arts debate. We explore both sides of the argument of whether or not there is value in a liberal arts education. We will be taking opposite sides of the issue, although the sides we take may or may not reflect our own personal opinion. Joel will be taking the side of arguing the positives of a liberal arts education while I will be rebutting and presenting information in the negative. So before we get started, let's determine just exactly what is meant by the term liberal arts education. So what's funny is that there's no set definition that's common to everyone. Okay, uh, Usually you look and it's more about characteristics. Uh, so for purposes of our discussion, um, I think we should be able to say that a liberal arts education describes an interdisciplinary education covering topics within the humanities, social sciences, natural sciences, and mathematics. Most would say that liberal arts schools focus on interaction, critical thinking skills, collaboration, and so on. Can we agree to use this as a common definition? I think I can agree to that. Since you're in the affirmative, why don't you lead us off? So I'm going to start by citing a 2016 article in Forbes by Willard Dix, a writer uh, about the college admissions process who's also served on both the college and high school sides of admission. He states, quote, dedicated to the free and open pursuit of knowledge for its own sake, a liberal arts education provides a multifaceted view of the world. It enables students to see beyond one's perspective, encouraging them to understand others even if they don't agree. It instructs us to base our opinions on reason, not emotion, end quote. CNBC reported in 2014 that a study from the Association of American Colleges and Universities found 
that liberal arts majors right out of college average $5,000 less than students with pre-professional or professional degrees, but by their late 50s, people with liberal arts degrees average about $2,000 more annually than pre-professional or professional degrees. And furthermore, 74% of employers surveyed said they would recommend a liberal arts education as, quote, the best way to prepare for success in today's global economy, end quote, saying skills like critical thinking, problem solving, and communicating are more important than one's major. What does our, what does our country need? What does our society need? What do our students need? And why are we trying so hard to save the liberal arts? In a 2018 article in U.S. News and World Report, according to the American Academy of Arts and Sciences themselves, one in 20 degrees are now associated with majors traditionally in the liberal arts. That's 5%. In 1967, it was 20%. What our country needs is a workforce and college degrees that lead to actual jobs. Universities are jettisoning liberal arts degrees and small liberal arts colleges are continuing to close. The demand for liberal arts education simply isn't there. It's simply economics. Uh, consumers want results. They want jobs. They want to know that their coursework is leading to a job. In the very same article, a Gallup poll of liberal arts graduates indicated that 40% of them would have chosen a different major. Uh, a little cynical here, but uh, probably a major that led to a job. It, but having a liberal arts degree or a liberal arts focus, it doesn't mean that you can't major in STEM or, or, or math. It just means that you're going to look at that field of study while also considering a more holistic approach to study. It helps develop these soft skills that everyone always talks about that people need in today's economy. People need to know how to write. People need to know how to work together. People need to know how to problem solve. All of those things have value with a liberal arts approach, okay? An article from study.com notes that even though unemployment rates of liberal arts graduates may be higher than other careers, if a student can increase their employability by adding specific skill sets as well, they're much more attractive to an employer. Man, it's hard to stay quiet. I just wanna jump in the middle yeah. of your sentences, but we, we have a, a polite discourse here. Uh, but listen to this, all right, Joe. According to a, according to Smart Manufacturing, by 2020, up to two million advanced manufacturing jobs will be unfilled. Manufacturing is is the heart of our economy and the place to make an excellent living for many Americans. It's called a skills gap. Yet for some reason, so many professionals and schools are hung up on defending the liberal arts. Intellectuals in our country, many parents I've worked with included look down on skilled labor when everyone knows what training like that can mean in potential income and job security. I hear things, do you know how much it costs to fix your AC? Or teachers saying, uh, plumbers make more than me. Yet when senior year comes, it's a great thing, but not for my kid. Here's another economics lesson for you. Liberal arts college for a middle-class family, student debt, 30,000, parent debt up to 100,000. Uh, 100, Four years of college if you're lucky, and a degree that guarantees what? That's a 23-year-old kid with a chance of good work, but I'm not going to stereotype here. You know, the history major serving coffee. I was a history major. Well, good for you. Hmm. Next example. 
two-year college technical degree, community college prices, possibly zero debt, but let's be fair and say $10,000 debt. Now, we have a 21-year-old with $10,000 debt and two years experience in the workforce because if you're not terrible, the good jobs are there. So we're back to zero debt, a good start on a career, and work experience. Why aren't we defending that? On top of that, liberal arts degrees make statements like collaboration and problem solving. Collaboration, problem solving, really? You don't think skilled workers need to work in a team? I just don't buy that argument at all. $130,000 does not buy that, my friends. Okay, I'm out of breath. Let's keep this rolling. Here's the thing. Richard Greenwald in the Daily Beast wrote last December that, quote, the reality is we need the social and critical communication skills that are best honed in the liberal arts. According to the Harvard Business Review, while technical skills are important, quote, what matters now is not the skills you have, but how you think. Can you ask the right questions? Do you know what problem you're trying to solve in the first place? End quote. They remind us that there is a long list of successful tech leaders who hold degrees in the humanities. He further writes that, quote, when the World Economic Forum surveyed 350 top executives from nine leading industries about the skills necessary for business success for its study of the future of jobs amidst the fourth industrial revolution, the 10 essential ones, Complex problem solving, critical thinking, creativity, people management, coordinating with others, emotional intelligence, judgment and decision making, service orientation, negotiation skills, and cognitive flexibility. In brief, the skills necessary for business success are rooted in the liberal arts and best obtained through an education in it, rather than technical training or technical training with a small sprinkling of liberal arts. There's a reason why so many Fortune 500 CEOs have liberal arts degrees, and that is because the liberal arts alone provides the basis for leadership, lifelong learning, and a meaningful life, end quote. That's only 500 jobs, you know, the 500 CEOs. Well, you're talking about having a technical degree. I'm talking about the people who are running the companies. We can, I, I, I get that. I, I guess we're still talking about... I, I, I'm talking about the masses and making a good living. But look, okay, back to our first episode ever, Joel. Uh, what is college? I, know, I do know there's a place for everyone, but I feel that the liberal arts are getting harder and harder to defend. What I can't get my head around is why intellectuals are trying so hard on that end while so few are fighting and scratching to add legitimacy to two-year schools and more technical degrees. I'll say I'll say that again. I, I can't get my head around why why intellectuals are trying so hard on that end, while so few are fighting and scratching to add legitimacy to the two-year schools and more technical degrees. I went to a, a meeting several years ago in Northern Kentucky, Greater Cincinnati area, in this region. We have a group of leaders called the Triad Council. Their mission is to bring companies to our region who will boost the economy. That means they'll bring jobs, usually manufacturing to this region, while selling products or services to other parts of the world versus coming to the area and then making money in the area. You want to, you want to make the money from outside the greater Cincinnati area. So before a company will come here, before they'll locate or relocate here, there's one huge piece of information they need, and this is what I learned in that meeting. Uh, can they fill their factory with highly skilled workers? Like, like they want details. How many schools? How many graduates? What fields? Without this, we don't boost our local economies. 
we, we need a shift, and, and I'm sorry to say it, but it's, it's away from liberal arts and into technology and, and technical education. And I'm simply going to counter that with the fact that not every person on this earth has to build widgets in a factory. Okay, There's value in all kinds of jobs, including those in the arts, humanities, social sciences, and so on. I have a bachelor's degree in social studies. I have a master's degree in school counseling, and I'm doing okay in life. You are because we have listeners in Namibia in our podcast. <laughs> so, uh, to me, technical manufacturing, all of that is great. But to say that's what everyone has to do, there, there's value in liberal arts. No, and this is an exercise. I mean, this this discussion is an exercise in, in our thinking and our arguments. I, 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 I don't, I don't think everyone, I don't think liberal arts should be destroyed. I think that, that truthfully, if, if we look at this discussion, what I, what I would really ask for is for people to push just as hard toward the technical education, toward two-year programs, as they do toward four-year programs and, and liberal arts included. Fair enough. So what does this mean for the following groups? As always, we look at things through four lenses, and we will we'll hit those lenses uh, one by one. So if you're a school counselor... One of the things I always ask my students and talk to my students about finding a career path, um, I usually ask two questions. One, does it make you happy and make you want to get up out of bed in the morning? And two, does it pay the bills? Okay, so for me, helping students answer those two questions, whatever career path they choose, is paramount. You're there to help support students as they look at a variety of options and then provide the knowledge and the resources to help them get to where they want to be. Simple as that. If you're at a university, either either start making promises or, or defending your liberal arts programs. DePaul University, with a W, uh, recently made a promise that they would give a job or anyone who didn't find one after six months of graduation. It's called the Gold Commitment, and it guarantees that DePaul's liberal arts education will lead to postgraduate engagement. If not, DePaul will provide an entry-level professional opportunity or additional uh, or, or additional primary uh, term tuition, additional primary term tuition free. If you're gonna save it, you better back it up and fight for it. I would have to say that about liberal arts if you're a college, uh, or, or you could collaborate with local industry to add degrees that lead directly to employment. Uh, but the universities need to continue to take ownership over what what services because consumers are going to start asking this question. Mm-hmm. If you're a parent, one, don't devalue a job in technical education or trades. Two, help your student find out what their passion is while also being able to pay the bills. Three, support them in whatever they choose. And four, don't write off a liberal arts education. Very good. And if you're a student, we say this a lot on our podcast, be a great consumer. Understand what you're getting into Understand your finances and understand the end goal. Don't leave it solely up to your parents. You are an adult now, and you need to take ownership of your education. If your parents uh, think you're a loser because you want to be a welder, I've seen it live, people. I promise. Uh, then, then good luck to you. Uh, you know, I hope I hope you can become what you want to become. Uh, each situation will be different, but as an adult and as someone who might be taking on debt. Again, students, know what you're signing up for. So with that, I'm pretty positive I won. 
And you lost? <laughs> but maybe not. Even, well, let's let's see. We'll let Johnny break the tie. All right, so. How about that? We'll come back uh, with our interview segment with the incomparable Johnny Johnson. Johnny Johnson. Welcome back to Get Schooled by Reeves and Ford. Special guest, Johnny Johnson, but I'll let Joel do the honors. All right. So we want to introduce to everybody listening, uh, Johnny Johnson. He is currently the Interim Vice President for Enrollment and Director of Admissions at Transylvania University in Lexington. He's also the current President of the Kentucky Association for College Admission Counseling. Uh, prior to that, he served as Director of Multicultural Recruitment and Operations for Transy, was Director of Admissions at Georgetown College, was an assistant director of admissions at Cornell College. He holds a bachelor's degree in economics and business and in sociology from Cornell College. Thank you, LinkedIn, for uh, providing some resume details for me creeper. for the introduction. <laughs> Joel's a creeper. So I'm a creeper. All right, so Johnny, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing today? All right, so we've, we've just finished um, arguing and me winning talking about the value of liberal arts education. We'll so, let the public decide that. Okay. So I guess our first question is, so you attended Cornell College, uh, which I guess we would classify as a small liberal arts college. What drew right. you to that, that school? But how did I end up there? Yeah. Question? Yeah, so Cornell does what's called one course at a time. You take one course for three and a half weeks. So each course is very intense. Um, you take the final at the end of that three and a half weeks, and then you move on to another course. Um, so it was a very unique way of taking classes um, in college. But it is a liberal arts school, and so even though I was a business and um, economics major and sociology major, I still had to take my foreign languages and my biology and my history and my music. And, you know, that's uh, one, of the, one of the things I was looking for as I was doing my college search. So, so what benefits do you think the, the liberal arts experience gave you? Well, liberal arts are known to help students um, in a couple of, maybe three or four areas. Critically think, problem solve, analyze, and write. And those skills can take you throughout any career, no matter if you're going to be an engineer or an English teacher. You need to be able to critically think. You need to be able to analyze. You need to need to be able to problem solve. Um, and so, to me, that's why liberal arts education is so important. Um, who knows if you, if you start college as an engineer major and then you decide to switch to psychology, um, those skills are transferable no matter what. Those, those skills that I just mentioned. If you are only doing engineer work or only doing pre med work, and then you switch to another major, you kind of put yourself behind the eight ball a little bit. I actually have personal experience with that, and I'm arguing against myself from earlier in this episode, but my son went to University of Tennessee for a year, and he was in a forestry degree, didn't, didn't uh, want to continue that, transferred to Thomas More College, a small liberal arts, for one year, then transferred to the University of Cincinnati for two years, and the choice came down to... Uh, choosing the liberal arts economics degree versus the business economics degree. And he graduated in four years, a, a couple weeks ago. Yeah. 
Um, 4% of one-time transfers will graduate in in four years. So he graduated, he transferred two times, stuck with liberal arts, and ended up ended up completing all his coursework in time. So I see what you're saying. I mean, so it, it sounds like Joe already won the argument, so why are you talking? I don't know. End of episode, <laughs> folks. I don't know. <laughs> Tune in next week. Yeah. Well, here here is something that we did talk about, and yeah. we'd love to hear your take on it. We know that you read articles, you look at things online. Liberal arts is is under attack in some ways. It is. So, so what are your thoughts on the idea that students with liberal arts education make less money and have more difficulty being employed? That that's a good question because the media, the the like you said, the articles, uh, the things that are out there says liberal arts. Um, degrees don't get jobs, and that's per, and that's portrayed in the amount of money that those uh, individuals are making. But I would challenge uh, anybody to go actually ask CEOs, presidents, vice presidents of any corporations who they truly want to hire. They want to hire people that can think, um, that can problem solve. They can teach you the skills or the processes that the job um, would need. But they want people who can do some things on their own. And that's what a liberal arts degree will teach students or teach um, individuals who are going to those institutions. Um, so I, I get the argument, and I see what the media is putting out there. Believe me, when I'm talking to parents um, about coming to Transylvania, they say, is, is this English degree going to get my student a job? And I can say yes, and they're going to be successful. These students are going to be they, they're going to um, change jobs five to seven, maybe ten times during their life. So no longer are we having people work at one place for 25 to 30 years. The skills that a liberal arts degree will give you will allow you to transfer skills from job to job to job, and that's why I think it's important. So what do you, what specific characteristics do you think are part of the educational experience at Transylvania, for instance? So not only are they learning, you know, those different skills within the classroom, but because we're a small residential institution, you are living with your classmates. And we know this is a changing world. The demographics have changed. Ideas have, are being challenged. Um, thought processes are being challenged. You don't grow if you're only talking to people who think just like you. So with being a residential institution um, of about a thousand students, you live with people who came up, who, who have different backgrounds, who were raised differently, who come from different countries and different parts of the United States, um, especially, um, and you're challenged. And those are some of the benefits that you get when you are living with, them, with, your, with your classmates and not just going to class with them. So do you see, have you seen over time, like, because there's this, this belief that maybe liberal arts education isn't the way to go, have you seen... a, a like your enrollment change? Has it increased, decreased? Well, Transylvania is strong. It's, it's going to be around forever. I, I believe it's been around for 230 plus years. Um, we have seen liberal arts colleges close, however. Um, and I don't think that's necessarily because of what's out there in the media. I think there's some mismanagement in funds um, and, and lack of uh, creative programming. So, I do think Transylvania will be around for a while. I do think liberal arts institutions will be around for a while. We do have to get creative in how we present ourselves. For example, 
um, one of the more popular majors or interests right now is criminal justice. Partly because CSI, Law and Order, and all those shows are very popular sure, on TV, right. um, and, and the students just say, "Hey, I want to do that." Well, there are a number of different skills that go into criminal justice or forensics, not just being able to um, look at something and analyze. You gotta look. You have got to have some chemistry. You've got to have some psychology. You've got to have some English. You've got to have some history. Liberal arts degrees help with all of those things, and so. Again, if you're going to school to just learn one skill, you're going to price yourself or make price yourself out of the industry within 10 years, where a liberal arts student will be able to sustain a career over a long period, longer period of time because they've got all these different skills. I think I may have just lost the tie. I, I think I, th- I think you've pretty much solidified all of the arguments that I made earlier, Johnny. Well, I, I told you within the first two minutes that Joel had won the argument. I think Chris was thinking that I was going to back him up, but, uh, <laughs> you know, Joel's a little bit smarter than Chris. We, we, all, know we all know that. We all know that. <laughs> Johnny, we, we definitely appreciate you being on the podcast today and talking to us a little bit about the liberal arts experience. And um, I just think it's something that, that our listeners may not know a lot about, and so you've helped to provide um, – some knowledge to everybody and again help to solidify the fact that I won this debate. Stop. Just stop. Uh, No, it was awesome to hear from someone who went to a liberal arts school who's dedicated their career to liberal arts schools. Uh, I I think we could all at least agree that uh, regardless of the pathway, education is is important and to continue your education is is something we encourage all of our students to do. Our very first episode was called What is College? Because we define it we define it a whole lot broader than traditional four-year college, but uh, but man, thank you. We will. I will yeah. see. I will see you. Uh, well, by the time this is produced, I may already be seeing you. Uh, but uh, you know, for those of you, and this doesn't appeal to every audience member out there, but for those of you who are involved in NACAC, don't forget that Johnny Johnson will be the welcome speaker at the national conference yeah. in Louisville, twenty nineteen. He'll be on stage representing Kentucky. I'm looking uh, forward to it. Yeah, it'll be it'll be awesome. So I look forward to seeing you soon, friend. All right. Johnny. Yeah, look, forward seeing, look forward to seeing you guys as well. All right. Thanks, Johnny. And we'll be right All back. Right, we'll be right back with our final words of wisdom. Stick around. Welcome back to Get Schooled by Reason Ford, where it is now time for some final words of wisdom. Chris? Yeah, I have that. Um, Before the words of wisdom, Johnny was awesome. He was. Man, that guy is fantastic. Fantastic. Uh, Words of wisdom this week, I think it's appropriate to just say a word about debate and discourse. Uh, We're still friends. We live in an extremely divided time. Everyone knows that. And if you if you say if anyone says it's one person's fault because of the, resulting in a divided time, then then you're part of it. On the micro level, each of us needs to be responsible for understanding all sides of an argument and to see things through others' eyes. You can't have all the same type of Facebook friends. You can't have all the same news feeds. You have to listen to things from both sides. Um, so you need to listen to all sides. Those are that's that's this episode's words of wisdom. Decide for yourself in the end, but listen to all sides. Understand slants or falsehoods in the media. 
listen to listen to as many different opinions as you can, then decide for yourself. Because that's what this podcast is all about. Looking at an issue in college admissions from multiple angles and through multiple lenses. Agreeing to disagree is a viable option. We all just need to remember that. Agreed. And so with that, thanks for tuning in to Get Schooled. You'll find us on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. Uh, If you like what you hear, give us a rating, and we hope you listen again. Our next episode, we'll be talking about campus tours. Awesome. So, see you next time. Bye, everyone. This week, I think it's appropriate to just say Joel's a creeper. So, I'm a creeper. Mike Piergowski. What a stud.